The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought, every wrinkle, every spot will be in view. Before the one who knows all things, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, you know the one you never knew. While you have breath, you have a choice to make in life. Turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ Amen. you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come he is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name He has power over life and death Every knee will bow and tongue confess Heaven and earth will proclaim That Jesus Christ is Lord To the glory of the Father Will you bow, will you surrender To His majesty He can save you from the might Of all your sin the fight in which he stands in perfect victory while you have breath you have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath 
You have a choice to make in life Turn away from all your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm Amen He's the only shelter from the coming storm Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Today I'm going to talk about revival truth. I'm going to begin with the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians, verse 7. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that it will be that they are condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teaching we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. This is Second Thessalonians, the second chapter. I want to note just a couple of things before I go to the main body of the message for today. He is telling his brothers and sisters who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ that they are to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It is a work that God does in the heart and in the soul of a man or woman. There is a belief in the truth 
What is the truth? Jesus, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. He says, he has called you to this through our gospel. If the gospel that you hear is not a gospel that calls you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through a belief in Jesus Christ, you know it is a false gospel. You know, I've been hidden away for quite a few years. I don't have a large ministry. I stream on YouTube through National Prayer Chapel, and I broadcast on 780 AM over the metro area and a small section of the area through an FM ministry. And my message has consistently been that you are saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God. And you must leave all sin. Now, some of you have been troubled and wondered, Pastor, you're saying that we should turn off the television. We should stop watching movies. Why would you say that? Because who are the movies produced by? Evil men and women in studios that do not lift up Jesus Christ. Why would I say you should not participate in the national sports, football, baseball, and all the others? Why? Because they are not of the Spirit of God. They're of the darkness. They're of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There is some good, And there is much, much evil. It's also true that the church today is apostate in America. And every unclean thing is being done by national pastors and by local pastors. Prophets, so-called teachers, they come proclaiming freedom, but instead they bring enslavement, they bring darkness. So I'm not of the mainstream, I don't intend to be of the mainstream in America or the American religion. I hold to the gospel that was taught by the Apostle Paul, by Jesus, and by the other apostles. The movies, the videos of ungodliness will sear your mind and make it impossible or very difficult to understand the word of Scripture. As the Holy Spirit calls you to himself, he wants you to come out of the world, to be separate, Love not anything in the world. First John. I urge you, if you have questions about this, 
to go directly to the Word of God and read and reread and reread every day for maybe a week or two the entire book of First John. You'll find great understanding and illumination there. Now, in Hebrews, the sixth chapter, where we've been spending a fair amount of time, in verse 7 it says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. The rain of God is falling upon you in the honest, straight teaching of men and women who are hidden away with God, who are not there to raise money, who are not there to pile up brush and say, I've got the biggest church. No. The reign of the Holy Spirit and the word of God falls on you from men who do not come with an agenda except to bring you into Jesus Christ and to separate you from the wickedness of this world, and to give you victory in Jesus through his precious blood. I'll show you that today. Verse 8, But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, verse 9, Dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case things that accompany salvation. I can't say that. And one of the great dangers listening to the scriptures is that when they are addressing, as they are in the book of Hebrews, those who have utterly given themselves over to the Lord God of heaven, who are choosing to walk Chapter 3 in Hebrews, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. If you are not one of those holy ones, it's a great danger for you to read the scriptures and apply to yourself the words of encouragement that are spoken, that are meant for the ones who have sold out and who are now walking holy before God, who are sanctified entirely through and through. And many of you apply those wonderful promises of God to yourself, even though you are still walking in wickedness, you still have rebellion in your heart, you have not gone to the prayer closet and done the necessary work to cry aloud to God, and be found holy before him by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. So for many of you, I'm not confident of better things in your case, because you have a great deal of knowledge, a great deal of understanding of the theology of the gospel of Jesus. But you don't walk it out. You still love the world and the things of the world. You still sin against Almighty God. And you claim you're saved, but you're saved in the midst of your sin. 
If you say that, you are under a curse. And that includes almost all of the apostate church in America. I want to begin this broadcast again, coming back to this passage. Let us leave chapter 6, verse 1, the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. If you then follow his line of thinking in the sixth chapter and into the seventh and eighth and on, you will find that when he speaks of going on to maturity, what he's speaking of is going on in an understanding of Jesus as your high priest and his work to redeem you and to make you holy, to sanctify you. I'd like to give you again, I did this yesterday, but I I just, I know I did it so quickly that many of you were confused and did not grasp the truth of what I was saying. And so I need to come back And I need to say again what William Seymour, the pastor who God used to bring Azuzu Street about. I need to share with you again the concise presentation done by Jim Kerwin in The Rejected Blessing. If you will Google that, you'll find his webpage and other wonderful teachings, and you'll also find a free copy of this book, or you can order it for yourself. It's just a booklet. It's not very long. It's maybe 85 pages long. But let me review for you this very concise teaching on sanctification. Number one, revival truth. This is what I'm giving you today. Any true revival will have to begin with these basic understandings as they cry out to God. Now, you may not have these understandings as you begin to cry out, but he will quickly bring them to your heart or you're involved in a false revival. Number one, God is holy, and he commands his people to be holy. The word holy means to be set apart from, to totally be set apart from wickedness, from the world, from the flesh, from the devil, to be separated out to Jesus. He commands his people to be holy, by which he means we are to be set apart for him alone. Read Matthew, the 16th chapter, very carefully. We are to be made pure in heart, free from sin. That is, completely free from sin. Now, this is John Wesley's teaching. This is the teaching that they believed at Azuzu Street 
all of them who were a part of the beginning of that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they had this basic understanding. The Welsh revival had the same basic understanding. He means that we are to be set apart for him alone. That means, according to Matthew 16, that we must deny ourselves. That is, we must disown ourselves. We must annihilate ourselves. We must recognize that we must be crucified with Christ that Jesus will crucify us with himself. He will do that work of making us holy via righteousness. He will put righteousness, real righteousness, into our hearts. I've told you before, I was preaching a series of revival meetings at an Anglican church with the approval of the Anglican pastor, the priest, And night after night, I saw an increasing level of bitter anger against what I was preaching. Some of the men were very, very disturbed. They went to the bishop. The bishop came and listened to a broadcast or two and discovered that I was teaching that a man could be free from sin that in fact we must be free from sin if we are going to be saved. Straight out of the book of First John. Straight out of Romans, the sixth chapter. This bishop was livid. How dare you come into our Anglican church and preach that a man can be set free from his sin? Wait a minute, I thought that was the gospel. The apostate church, however, does not believe that you can be freed from your sin. They have no biblical basis for believing that. They are going contrary to Scripture. But in today's atmosphere, churches don't mind going against the Scripture, either with sexual perversion, sin, wickedness. No, church today and this Anglican church was a center of entertainment feel-good theology. It was a center of, of wickedness. And the bishop was very angry that I was upsetting the members with this teaching, and so they kicked me out, summarily kicked me out, forbid me to even come on their campus, forbid me to pray in their prayer room. I'm not even welcome to attend the congregation. Why? Because I preached that according to the word of God, you must be sanctified. You must leave your sin. You must be made holy by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I felt like I was in good company John Wesley, many years before in England, had been summarily barred from the pulpits of the Anglican church there as well. 
Now, there are wonderful Anglican people that I dearly love, but their theology is in the pit of hell. Secondly, in summarizing sanctification, God in his grace and power provides the means or the ways for us to obey the commandment to holiness. And the way is so thorough that it even destroys the inbred sin nature. This is where the doctrine takes on its name entire sanctification. Since sin is dealt with at the very root. Number three. While being free from the sin nature is important, it in no way implies instant maturity or towering spirituality. It leads the believer for the first time in his life with the ability to not sin, not to be confused with an inability to sin. We can all fall to temptation if we are not staying close to Jesus Christ and preserved by his mercy and his grace, washed by his blood. All of us can face temptations, but those temptations should come from the outside, not from the inside. The most important aspect of entire sanctification is that the heart's ruling passion is the love of God. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you have been sanctified, you have a passion in your heart that overrules everything else save Jesus Christ. It overrules the TV. It overrules the movies. It overrules the football. It overrules everything. And your passion is your love for God. The first and great commandment takes on another aspect altogether, that of the great fulfilled promise, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. The sign that a person has been sanctified is that he has been separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and he now has given himself utterly to a passionate love for Jesus Christ. He devours the scriptures. He wants to read the word of God. He is hungry. Now, as the Holy Spirit begins to call a person out of their sin, things can become very uncomfortable for people around them because they no longer talk the way they used to talk. They no longer do the things they used to do. They have been washed in the blood of Jesus. And they no longer choose to walk in rebellion against the Holy Spirit. Now, as they move forward in their walk with Jesus, they will discover hidden places in their heart of pure wickedness 
These, they quickly surrender to Jesus and ask him to toss them out. One person said, I no longer allow evil thoughts to come into my mind. Instead, I cry out to God and ask him to remove that from my heart and to fill my heart with praise for Jesus. That's the sign of a person who is in the very quick process of being sanctified. Now, the scriptures show that sanctification is both a process and an event. That is to say, Christians, by grace and obedience, will grow in holiness. But there is a time when the soul encounters God and wrestles with this matter of inward purity. This is known as a crisis experience. It's a critical junction in spiritual life when the Holy Spirit desires to take the believer deeper and higher in the walk with Christ, convicts the believer of the need for inner purity. Now, I want you to understand this. This is revival truth. The first step is to confess all known sin to Jesus then to pray through and have those sins removed from your heart and your desire and a passionate love for Jesus flow into your heart. This does not take months. This can take a matter of days. And then after that, there is a sanctification process that continues as we are matured in Jesus, but we are not walking in any known rebellion or sin against him. We are walking clean. Anyone who tells you that you cannot walk clean before God by the power of the Spirit, by the blood of of Jesus, they are lying to you. And the reason they're lying to you is either because that was what they were taught, or as one national pastor has said, I was raised to believe this message of holiness as a child but I threw it off when I discovered I could not overcome my sin. And then he went to the Reformed theology. Now, why could he not overcome his sin? Because he did not want to be crucified with Jesus. He was unwilling to disown himself. He wanted his career. He wanted his successful church. He wanted his successful ministry. And he was deceived. When Jesus convicts the believer of the need for inner purity, when God grants that purity, the time and place are just as knowable and recordable as one's experience of salvation. Hence the word instantaneous was associated with the experience For although there was a process of sanctification leading up to it and an ongoing process after the event, there was an instant when God, the Holy Spirit, made the heart pure and sin-free. That is the old carnal nature that exists in all men. It's removed. Now, Wesley spoke about a higher way and a lower way. 
He said it was not necessary for that inner work of purity to be done in a man's heart to enter into salvation. But it was necessary that a man no longer walk in any known rebellion against God or any known sin against the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go in depth in that next week. And to get ready for that, I invite you to carefully read Hebrews, the 10th chapter. So I want you to understand that sanctification is a process, but it is also an event. It is a place where we finally come and say, okay, I am done with my wickedness. I don't want this fornication anymore. I don't want these filthy things of the world anymore. I am done with this. I want Jesus. And I'm going to leave my sin. And by the blood of Jesus Christ, you overcame that sin and it was removed from your heart. I've had people who were drug addicts, heroin. I've had people who were smoking and drinking. And they came to me and asked me to pray. I prayed. We prayed as a church. And there was total instantaneous deliverance in the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. There is simply no excuse for sin. The wages of sin are death, Romans the sixth chapter. So there is a process of sanctification, and there is an event of sanctification. The modern teaching of the church is that we grow slowly that our entire lifetime we are growing towards sanctification, but we never are able to stop sinning. I'm going to show you the scriptures talk about that. They're making the blood of Jesus of no more value than the blood of sacrifices in the old covenant. And I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing in all of the universe. It cleanses a person from their sin. It transforms them. It changes them. Now, I'm worried about many of you. I'm concerned. I'm praying because many of you are unwilling to take the necessary steps. You believe the lie that you can never leave your sin, and the reason you believe that is because you're comfortable in your wickedness while you still claim that you're saved. I don't have much hope for you unless by the power of the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, begins to bring loud cries, prayers and loud cries, whereby God can come and deal with you in honesty. Most 
who call themselves Christians today in America are desperately dishonest. Are you one of those? I pray you're not. I pray you're honest before the Lord. Don't become proud and self-assured and think that somehow you're good to go. Now, this doctrine of entire sanctification in a pure heart. It wasn't long after William Seymour began to fade in the national attention that a Presbyterian pastor stepped forward and he began to preach what he called the finished work. And the finished work was an utter wicked deception. The finished work was that Jesus finished everything at the cross. And that's a lie. What Jesus did at the cross was finish the work of providing the possibility of atoning blood to cover and destroy your sin. He did not Forgive your past, present, and future sins. That was the lie the devil brought and divided the Pentecostal people. And it's still flowing today in almost every congregation in America. That's why I call the church in America apostate. Because they bought into this Presbyterian pastor's lie. A very charismatic man. A salesman first class. His followers picked it up and twisted it even further. Teaching that God had forgiven all of your past, present, and future sins, and you could never stop sinning. Breaks my heart. Because it means that the Church of America is totally compromised with wickedness. At one time, I would meet with a group of Anglican men once a week for dinner. I was deeply pained by their conversation. It was always about professional sports or making money. Those were the two primary interests that these men had, even Even the bishop. And the result was when I asked these men one evening, How many people have you won to Jesus with your testimony? If you've won anyone in the past year, would you raise your hand? Not one hand went up. I said, Have you, any one of you, won anyone in the last five years? Not one hand went up. Have you won anyone, anyone in your entire life? Not one hand went up. Why? Because these men believe they're saved in the midst of their sin, and they have no power in their testimony. 
Are you one like that? Have you lost all power in your testimony? Because you're compromised, walking in wickedness, agreeing with your pastor who is involved in sexual perversion. If you fly the rainbow flag at your church, you're involved in sexual perversion, and God has left. He has removed his lampstand from your church, and the Holy Spirit has departed. We have a so-called revival, and who leads the praise and worship music? A homosexual. Really? Yeah, because that's okay in the modern church. We love everybody. We're tolerant of everybody. I don't think so. So it says, I have, I have confidence that you're not like this. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of a better thing. In your case, I can't say that for you, my listeners. Some of you I can say that for. Many of you I cannot because you're still caught in a compromised position where you believe the lie. And you don't sacrifice everything in your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You still want the world, the flesh, and the devil and believe you're saved. If you look with me in Hebrews, the 8th chapter, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant, the everlasting covenant. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. And I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That is a man who has been sanctified. Now, verse 11 of chapter 9. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption." 
the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So Jesus is in his tabernacle now, not forgiving future sins, but waiting upon you to come into the presence of Jesus, to enter into the most holy compartment, and recognize that by the blood of Jesus Christ, our conscience can be cleansed because we're no longer walking in those things that lead to death so that we can serve freely and with great joy the living God of heaven. Verse 15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from their sins committed under the first covenant, Jesus did not die to cover over your sins. Jesus died on Calvary to remove all of your sin, to give you a clear conscience washed by his blood. For this reason, Christ, verse. this is chapter 9, verse 15 of Hebrews, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. The whole New Testament is about our precious Lord Jesus functioning as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He is not of the order of Moses and Aaron. He is not of the law. This is a new source, an un, an unknown source in the Old Covenant, a source of blood and righteousness where we are literally made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has come to set us free of our sin and our wickedness. Now you must act in faith and say, by the blood of Jesus, I am set free from that sin of wickedness. You may have been living with this person for years and not married to them. You must trust Jesus to open the way for you to either marry and live in righteousness with that person or to leave that relationship behind. It is not easy to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It requires disowning, annihilating one's natural desires and will of the flesh. Some of you have never been willing to sacrifice your money for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to require you to come in confession that you have stolen from Jesus, that you have been stingy with him, and you come into his presence and you agree you will give a minimum of 10% of all that you have 
to the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's basic. It is required that we totally and completely submit our life to Jesus. And he creates in us a new heart, a new will, a new desire, Verse 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one, the eternal heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, as the Roman Catholics teach in their wicked doctrine of transubstantiation. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood was not his own. Christ then would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once and for all at the end of the age to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you are holding on to your sin, you have not been willing to submit that to Jesus. He wants to do away with that sin in your life. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And in the Greek, that phrase, take away, literally means to pick up off of you your sin. Here's the mouse for my computer. Is it on my desk? No, it's been picked up. It's been taken away. In like manner, Christ was sacrificed one time to totally remove from us our sin. And then it says, and he will appear a second time not to bear our sin. That is, not to separate us from our sin. Some people say, when I die, Jesus is going to separate me from my sin. No, he's not. When you die, you carry that sin into eternity, which is hell. You must take full advantage now of the blood of Jesus Christ being offered to separate you from your sin. And he's not going to come to separate you from your sin at the end of time, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, who have been sanctified wholly, completely, who've been made clean by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, Next week, we're going to dive into chapter 10. Invite a friend to join and listen. Would you please, if this has been a helpful broadcast, would you, would you subscribe? And would you check that thumbs up and say, yes, this has been good for me. That'll help spread this word even further on Google. For me, it's not about a number of subscribers. It's about being able to spread this word of the gospel further for more people. I also invite you to consider donating, giving a tithe or an offering 
to Jesus Christ to help cover the cost of this work of the gospel. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're also welcome to go to our webpage. You'll find there are many YouTube videos that will help you. If you're listening on the radio on 780 AM, go to YouTube and go to Pastor Ray Greenley or go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find the videos there. Today I've presented you revival truth, that is to leave your sin Because revival comes as we cry out to God in confession with loud cries and tears. And we're washed and made clean. And then filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Thank you for each of you who has done so. Tomorrow will be one more day of prayer together. If you want to call in and pray, tomorrow's the day. If it's an empty day, I'm going to discontinue our prayer day. So if you want the prayer day to continue, call in tomorrow and pray online and cry out to the Lord. I'm willing to continue it, but it must be used if it's going to be there. I don't want to waste that time and money. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow.